lives, but do we actually live? Do we actually believe that? Because if we did, our lives would look drastically different. So the first week we talked about how that idea is our foundation. The second week we talked about uh, how that supremacy will lead us to fidelity in the gospel. And we talked about how it leads us to community and communion with one another. Uh, the, last week we talked about how that will lead us to maturity in Christ. And then this week we're going to talk about how this idea that Jesus is supreme over us gives us an identity It makes us new creations in Jesus. It changes everything for who we are. Um, I'm going to ask you guys. I need you. This week is a big week. And no, I'm not talking about Thanksgiving. Creed 2 comes out this week. And I'm desperately hoping my in-laws will let us go see it Friday night. Prayers would be appreciated. With Creed 2 coming out, uh, I've been in uh, a little bit. I love Rocky, the Creed movie that came out a couple years ago. Michael B. Jordan, he's, he's, a, he's a wonder. Um, but it's made me think about and get in the boxing mood a little bit, the boxing movie mood. And I think one of the more underrated boxing movies is a movie called Cinderella Man. I don't know if any of you have ever seen it. Russell Crowe, Renee Zellweger. Um, it tells the story of a man named James Braddock. And he's this Irish-American man, and he uh, is a boxer. And the kind of whole crux of the story is that his wife hates that he's a boxer because it's dangerous. She can't watch him as he boxes. The whole thing is very uh, nerve-wracking and stressful for her. But he loves it. Until one day, he injures very badly his right hand while boxing. So he can't box anymore. And this is in the 20s. It's during the Great Depression. So he goes and works in something that is honestly probably just as dangerous on the docks, uh, as much work as he can get, which he can't find a lot. But while on the docks, his hand was still injured. And so he becomes more proficient with his left hand. And he becomes more skilled with his left hand. And then when his right hand heals, all of a sudden he gets a call from his former manager and friend who said, hey, last minute, I had a guy drop out. I need someone to box tonight. Are you healthy enough to come box? Well, Braddock said, okay, last minute, goes, and he torches the guy. I mean, just beats him. This newfound right and left hand thing, boxing, changed everything for him. So he gets his careers resurrected. He starts getting on the circuit again. He trains every day. He starts doing really, really well. He's beating guys. All of a sudden, He gets a title shot. And the guy that he's going to fight in the title, literally, he's so dangerous, it's been said that two guys have died in the ring with him. Uh, That guy's trainer and manager forces them to watch film of this guy so that they know what they're getting into. And Braddock's a 10-to-1 underdog going into this title fight. 10-to-1. And there's this scene. And by the way, as I mentioned, his wife is so stressed and unhappy about him fighting this guy but braddock feels like he's got to fight but his wife says i'm not going to come you're not going to see me she's not happy with him but he's training day of the match comes he's with his trainer backstage and this beautiful moment happens renee zellweger his wife may walks in and the trainer kind of gives him a knowing look and just walks out the door um (laughs) But she walks in, 
And she looks at him in the eye and she says, you can't win without me behind you. And she gets up in his face really close. And I don't know why this makes me emotional, but she says, (laughs) (laughs) yo, I was at my desk this week legitimately crying watching the scene. But she says, maybe I understand some about having to fight. And she says, so you just remember who you are. She says, you're the bulldog of Bergen. You're the pride of New Jersey. You're everybody's hope. You're your kids' heroes. And then she says, you're the champion of my heart, James J. Braddock. Don't forget that. She pulls him into her arms. And man, that is a powerful scene. And here's why I tell you this. Life as a Christian, and truthfully outside of Christ, probably way more so, is difficult. It's a fight. Often it can feel like we are daily stepping into the ring with someone who's killed multiple people And we're 10 to 1 underdogs with all the odds stacked against us. But what I love about this scene is that his wife didn't come in and say, make sure you jab well. Make sure you use both your hands that you've been training. Make sure that you remember that this guy favors his left hand. She said, remember who you are. Remember who you are. That's what he needed in that moment, to be reminded of who he was. And before she told him, and she didn't, because that was for his trainer, that's for other people, how to fight, what to do, what to remember. If he didn't remember who he was, he wouldn't have been able to go out there. I wonder this morning, and I, I don't want this to sound trite, but I wonder this morning if Jesus is getting up a little bit in our face this morning, and and he's saying, you are my son and my daughter. I claim you for my own. You're the pride of my glory. You're the champion of my heart. All of us this morning um, are on a journey of self-discovery, right, if we think about it. Um, If you're a student this morning, you're going to class, you're going to school often, You're trying to figure out what you want to do in life one day, what to learn. You're trying to figure out who you are, what your place in this world is. Maybe you're a 20-something, fresh in the job marketplace, becoming an adult. You're trying to figure out what that means for you. Maybe you're in your 30s and 40s. You might have a family, or maybe not. You're trying to figure out what it means to come into past your 20s, no longer a kid, no longer trying to establish yourself. You are established. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a 30 or 40-something in today's society? Maybe you're in your 50s or 60s this morning, seeing those younger days pass you by, wondering, maybe looking to retirement soon, trying to find out what your place in life is. And maybe you're in your 70s and 80s, perhaps retired, trying to understand what it looks like for you now to be the elder statesman in all of society. See, all of us are on a journey, 
trying to figure out who we are, what our place is in the world. And here's what I want to say today. I don't have an answer for each of you in your exact stage of life. But here's what I do know. It is only through, and this is our thesis today, it is only through who Jesus Christ, who he says that we are, that we will begin to understand what our place in the world is. Regardless of our age, our stage of life, our status, our influence, or anything else, it's only in Christ Jesus that we will understand who we are and what our place is in the world. So who does Jesus say we are? Well, today we're going to see three ways that we can begin to understand that. First is this. His resurrection is our starting place of that understanding. Second, his death is the fuel for our daily struggle in trying to understand. And three, his glory is the hope of our own future. As we get into this text, we pray with me. Father, um, we do come before you often um, daily, sometimes less often um, as we try to push it away, trying to figure out what our place in this world is, who we are. And Jesus, remind us as we go through this passage in Colossians that you are supreme over our lives, over our hearts, and you define who we are and what our place is in this world. So let us learn from that, from this passage today. Please use the Holy Spirit on us to open our eyes and our hearts for your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So first, Christ's resurrection is our starting place. Uh, Verse uh, 1 says this, You have been raised, if you have been raised with Christ, seek then the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So the if here, at the beginning, if you look in your bulletins or your Bible, it'll say if. If then you have been raised with Christ. Now that if might make it seem like it's uh, maybe you have, maybe you haven't been raised with Christ, right? But, and that's a fair translation of the text, but actually what Paul is saying is the if here is saying that it is a done deal for all of us. It's, it's understood. He's saying, you all have been raised with Christ. A lot of uh, translators, for this reason, will translate that as since. Um, but he's telling this. He's saying, You, Christian, you have been raised with Christ in his resurrection. So what does that call you to do? If you have been raised, what does that call you to? And Paul constantly does this in his letters, and it's something I think we need to recognize. Uh, So before Paul ever calls us to something, before Jesus ever calls us to something, before the gospel ever calls us to something, you can look throughout all of Scripture There is first and foremost a truth that is behind that calling. Always. You can't have commands, or another word for them is imperatives, without the truth first. And in the same way, we can't know how to live in Christ until we know who we are in Christ. Let me say that again. You can't know how to live as a Christian until you know who you are in Christ. And Paul is saying right here, first and foremost, our starting place is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We must look to that resurrection over the powers of sin, destruction, and death that plague this world in our own hearts first. And then we will know how to live. And that's why he says after that, he says, if or since you've been raised with Christ, 
Then, what he calls us to, he says, seek the things that are above. So what does that mean? He's not saying that your head should be in the clouds or that you only care about a heavenly and spiritually existence without any thought to your day-to-day actions or the ordinary of our material universe, the here and now. No, he's saying something different. He's saying this. In everything you think, act, believe, seek first Jesus Christ, who has been raised again. But here's what's even more fascinating about this passage. This is an Easter passage. It reminds us that Jesus Christ, he didn't just rise again and defeat death for us, but rather because of our union with him and the Holy Spirit, we too were raised with him. He is with the Father right now, and we are raised with him. And he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. That that, that seating means he's in a place of power, authority, and supremacy. And because he is seated there, we are too. And so he almost repeats himself. He says, set your mind on things that are above and not on earth. And he does two things here. He says, this set your mind, um, it doesn't really capture actually the power of what Paul is saying here. He's saying, set your mind is more like, let this truth grab you. Let it grip you. You have to hear this thing. Let it grip you so deeply that you begin to understand who you are raised with Christ Jesus. This, in our self-understanding, is where we have to start. We have to. If not, we will always be confused as who we are in Christ. Uh, My favorite book in the world uh, is one that was written by one of my former professors out at at Covenant Seminary, Mike Williams. It's called As Far As the Curse Is Found. And uh, what he does in this book is he goes through the whole redemptive story from Genesis to Revelation. It's a biblical theology book. It's wonderful. But here's what's fascinating. You would think if he tells the story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, he would start in Genesis, right? And he does in chapter 2. But in chapter 1, he starts with the resurrection. He starts with the resurrection. And this is fascinating. He does this, though, because he says the, whole, the story as a whole does not make sense unless we know the power that starts this story. We're not going to understand who we are or how the story makes sense unless we understand that Jesus did come, he did die, and he did rise again. He says this, in this at the end of the chapter. He says this. It's possible that we verbally affirm the resurrection and still fail to be changed by it. The Spirit's work is essential. But when he works, the resurrection radically transforms our lives. The resurrection is the key to understanding the biblical story, and it becomes the key to our story as well. The key to a new way of understanding and living in the world. We have to start with the resurrection. There's something that Paul does in this passage that is amazing. He says that we are raised with Jesus, which we've been talking about. But he mentions where Jesus is. He says he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And I I mentioned earlier that um, that's a symbol, right? Paul knew what he was doing. He's saying seated at the right hand of God the Father means that he is in a place of power and authority and supremacy over all. 
But Paul's also a scholar of the Old Testament, and he's doing something purposefully here. In the Old Testament, at the tabernacle, for thousands of years, the Israelites had to come to the temple for payment of their sin. And that means that there were annual, monthly, weekly, daily cleansings and rituals that the priests had to do, ordained by God, for the people of Israel to experience God's forgiveness. And because of that, in all of the temple, all of the temple, there were no seats. The priest never sat. And part of that is symbolic, but also the reason the priest never sat is because there was too much to do. They were constantly working. And what Paul is saying here is that Jesus, our priest, resurrected God himself, sat. Because it is finished. It is finished. His work is done. And that means that our work is done. Trying to gain his acceptance, his love, forgiveness of our sins. On the cross, Jesus died and rose again because he said it is finished. And he sat down where he rules now in power and authority. A lot of you this morning are striving. You're working. You're busy. You're stressed out. And you need to know that the God of the universe said it is finished and he is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. That is our hope this morning. And when we feel like we are not good enough, that we are not lovable enough, that we're not trying hard enough, we can be reminded that he rose again so that it is finished. And when we make that truth the starting place for our lives, then what we are called to makes a lot more sense. Then we can begin to understand our role in this world as God's people. And that's where we will find meaning. We will stop looking outside the person and work of Jesus for meaning because it's only in him we'll find purpose. And this is what Paul is talking about when he means not looking to the earth, but looking heavenward. He's saying, quit fumbling around on earth, looking for meaning. Quit looking to earthly institutions for your worth, for your identity, to give you clarity of who you are. And he said, look to me, raised, seated at the right hand of God the Father. That brings us to our second point. We've seen that we must look only to Jesus to understand who we are and that his resurrection is the starting place Now we're going to see that Christ's death is the fuel for our daily struggle. And here's why. Because it's in Christ's death that we see his grace for us. Paul says this in verse 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. One can't be resurrected unless they were dead first. So if we were raised with Christ, we have to remember that we were also dead as Christ died on the cross, so did we. But we're alive, right? So, so what died if we were in Christ? What died with us when we were, um, what died on the cross with Jesus? What was the power of our sinful nature over us? That sin that is an intruder 
that confuses, that distorts how we are always created to be. The power of that over you and over me was broken on the cross. It died on the cross with Jesus. And we died with him because all that is true of us is eclipsed now by his work, hidden with him. In, in Christ, all that would be deserving of the wrath of God was poured out on him instead. That's how much he loves us. You don't stand before God based on your talents, your accomplishments, your life, your personality, your sin, your shame, your guilt, your brokenness. You stand before God in Christ Jesus with his perfect record covering you, over you, in you, through you. And your sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. And that's because we couldn't bear it anymore. But he could, and he did. And that is what grace is. And that's why the verse says that you're now hidden with him. And we actually just sang that a second ago. And the hiddenness in God. Paul doesn't use that term. Actually, it's very rarely used in the New Testament. Uh, But what it means is that we can be safe and secure in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, It's like we are a child hiding behind their parent. That is what it means to be hidden in Jesus. And though we will struggle every day with our sin and our brokenness, we are hidden in Christ and his goodness his grace, and his love. One commentator puts it this way. Several Old Testament texts suggest that hide carries a connotation of safety and security. Psalm uh, Psalm 27 says this, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. And now it may also remind us that the time between our initial identification with Christ And the revelation of that status on the last day is a time when God is working to keep us secure in that relationship. As Paul put it earlier, we have hope stored up for us in heaven. That means this is a daily thing. We are hidden in Christ daily. Because our identity is in Christ Jesus, we know that as we walk through this world, the daily struggles, the brokenness, the sin that we struggle with, we know that we are no matter what hidden in Christ Jesus. So what does this look like for us? If his death is our daily fuel, then we must die to ourselves daily. And what does it mean to die to ourselves? It doesn't mean um, killing ourselves for one another. It doesn't mean uh, running ourselves ragged, working too hard, trying to constantly um, serve even one another when we are not taking care of ourselves. No, dying to ourselves every day is dying to that sinful nature that was nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ. It's a reminder of us to constantly be doing work with that brokenness that we sometimes still revert to, often, if you're like me. This is actually called sanctification. And I actually wanted to get to some of this last week, but I ran out of time. Uh, So lucky for us today. Uh, sanctification is the process of becoming more and more who we were always created to be before the mark of sin. And this is only can happen to us when that mark of sin is removed from us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sanctification is the gradual process of Christ restoring us more in his image. 
And this is so, man, if we're talking about understanding who we are in Christ Jesus, there's nothing that confuses who we are more than our own sinfulness. Because it distorts who we are. It distorts who Christ created us to be. It's not the way it was supposed to be. It's not how he created us. So we have to do work with that brokenness in us and allow Jesus to take it from us every single day. And this isn't a, a, a getting into heaven thing. Or, or This is after your relationship with Jesus is secure, hidden with him. We still have to remind ourselves every day of his grace for us and that that sin has no power over us. And that's a hard thing. I, I don't know. The other day... Um, Andrea and I were driving back from vacation, and I mean, I, I had been struggling, like anxious, stressed out, running myself ragged, and I didn't want anyone to know that, and I didn't want her to know that. I wanted to really feel like I could handle it, but I couldn't, and I had to tell her and man it just came bubbling out of me and I was crying again and <laughs> um and man she was so gracious to me she want I, it's so weird I I thought that she didn't want it for whatever reason I thought that she didn't want to handle it she didn't want to take it on her back she didn't want me to give it to her my stress my anxiety my brokenness but man she did and she wanted to take it and say, hey, it's okay. I love you. I'm going to be here for you. And when you were a jerk to me, I forgive you. You know? In the same way, we have to take daily our sin, our brokenness, our stresses, our anxiety, and we have to let it out. We have to bring it to the feet of Jesus Christ. Because in doing so, no matter how painful or scary that might feel, man, we will find relief in his goodness and his forgiveness and his grace in us. That is our daily fuel. That's why I said it was our daily fuel because we have to die to that part of ourselves every day and lay it at the feet of Jesus Christ because in that, we will find his goodness and his grace and our own restoration. And then we do need to tell others. And that's part of what living in community is. Where do you need to do that this morning? What do you need to bring to the feet of Jesus you haven't yet? I know it's scary to say it. I know it because when you say it to him, it becomes real, right? But until we are that real with him, will we find relief. And in doing so, we'll begin to understand who we are in him. And it brings us to our final point. So we've seen that we must look to Jesus alone to understand who we are and Christ's resurrection is our starting point. His death is our daily struggle. And now we're going to see that his glory is our future hope. Verse 4 says this, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And this verse ties up perfectly the first three. We are reminded that in the resurrection of Jesus, we too are resurrected with him. In the death of Jesus, we too died to our sinful nature. And so to be daily restored in his grace. But in this verse, we are reminded that in Jesus Christ, who will return gloriously one day to restore all things. We too will be completely restored in his image. 
that glory that was bestowed upon Jesus Christ will too be given to us in the new heavens and the new earth. And that is our hope. Now, uh, when I was, I feel like they used to do this a lot in college ministry when they would make us like uh, shake the person's hand next to you or you know something weird like that. I'm not gonna do that. But if you imagine the person next to you, hear this quote, you ready? The dullest, most uninteresting belief, I'm just kidding, don't think the person next to you is dull. <laughs> the dullest, most uninteresting believer you can meet on the street today if you could see them in the state they will be when Christ returns, you'd be tempted to bow down and worship them. That is our hope of the future. It means our hurts, our pains, our disabilities, our long waiting, our addictions, our sin, our tears, our longings, our loss, our despair will be so removed from us, the image of God so restored upon us that we will be Glorious in the new heavens and the new earth. That is our hope. That gives us hope today. No matter where we are, our stage in life, what we have been going through, that is our hope for the future. I love when Paul says this. He says, uh, when Christ, who is your life? Our union with Christ is so strong. He's so intimately connected to us in relationship that Paul says that he is our life. He's not the point of our life. He's not the starting place of our life. He is our life. So is he? Is Christ your life? What parts of your life are you occasionally surrendering to him? And what parts of your life are you blatantly holding back? What parts of your life are you giving to him in part but not the whole? I think that's often my struggle. Jesus, I'll give you this part of me. I'll, I'll give you this part of my life, but not the whole thing. Or like halfway, but not all of it. The more we realize and relinquish our life to him, the more of his glory we'll experience in the here and now. And the more you do that, the more you'll understand who you are in him. Make Christ your life in the here and now and you'll have a taste of the glory to come. And this isn't easy. And this is a difficult thing. And when you are struggling to do this on your own power, Remember, that is not your power that is enabling you to relinquish your life to him. It's his. Allow him to do that. Remember this, this week, when you try to do it on your power, that God sent Jesus Christ in your place to die. He sent him to experience the crushing weight of death and eternal separation so that you would never have to. And in rising from the dead, uniting us to his person, we have new life, we have a new identity, we have a new sense of self. And he did that so we could put our sin away forever and that we could experience his glory right now. And we can hope in it in the future. Let that idea grab you, Paul says. Let it grip you so tightly that you can never see your life unless it was in him.
that movie, um, Cinderella Man, is based on a, a true story. And Braddock, uh, or Brannick, I forgot his name already. Russell Crowe, how about that? He didn't hold the title very long. He, he lost it to uh, Joe Lewis, a legend. And I love that story because who doesn't love uh, an underdog story, right? But here's, I was thinking this week, where our story differs. He started fighting again, and he got the title, but then he lost. Jesus, who is the champion of our hearts, he's also the champion of the world, and everything in it, he is supreme overall, and he's not going to lose again. We still fight battles, and we do in him, and, and he's alongside us, partnering us with us in that. But the victory is won. We don't have to worry about him losing Ever again, the victory is won, and in him, in him, we have the fruits of that victory. And part of that is understanding who we are in him. That is our starting place. This week, remember that Jesus is our victory, and only in him can we have victory too. It's his power, his love, his grace, his truth that helps us understand who we are and what our place is in this world. Look first to that. And then everything else. Not all the time, but you'll have those times where they do make sense. Amen.